right, all right. Day 130. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. 59 years ago, um, A.W. Tozer writes this book called The Knowledge of the Holy. And in the book, what he says is this. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes to our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. I think that quote uh, is really, really good. And it parallels greatly with Psalm 29 because Psalm 29 is just about, yeah, God, right? But it's about more succinctly the attributes of God, like who he is. And mainly it's about God's power, right? So the psalm will start off and say this, ascribe to the Lord, you heavenly beings, Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. To ascribe to the Lord, uh, something means to acknowledge, right, that he has an attribute, right? So the psalmist opens up speaking of the heavenly beings, the uh, the um, divine counsel. And basically he's saying that you guys need to worship and praise God for his glory, for his strength and for his holiness. And right off the bat, we are confronted with the fact that God's attributes just as much, just as much as anything else are meant for our adoration, right? We're meant to adore who God is, right? We are meant to gaze at it. We're meant to meditate on it, right? We're to reflect on God, how much do we think about God, right? He wants to dominate our thought life, right? And he goes on in this song to talk about the voice of the Lord. And the voice of the Lord here is basically a symbol for God's power, right? Like I said before, it's a symbol for God's power, right? So seven times in this song, he will use the phrase, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord, the voice of the Lord. And basically, um, this is important because one, you know, seven in the Bible is the number of completeness is very important. And so for him to use seven, it's uh, super strategic. Right. But the way he uses the way he talks about God's power is something that I think we profess at times. But I don't think we really like believe it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I don't really think we really, really believe that God is this powerful. So he says this, the voice of the Lord breaks the cedars. The Lord shatters the cedars of Lebanon. That may fall on deaf ears. Why? Because we live in the 21st century and we don't talk about trees. Um, we don't say, yeah, Lebanon for trees. So Lebanon in ancient Israel were the toughest, thickest kinds of trees. Now, we think about trees. If a tree lands on someone's house, right, they need to leave, right? Like it may be a rat. You feel what I'm saying? So Lebanon was the uh, yeah most brutal, strongest tree in Israel. And God, he's saying, shatters it. No problem. Then he says, yo, the Lord sits enthroned over the flood. The Lord sits enthroned king forever. Yahweh is presented, presented here as the most powerful being in the universe, right? 
And again, we have to think about this more. He is one who the Bible is saying here who can make floodwaters and the seas cave in on themselves. Right. It mentions that the wilderness shakes at his voice. Right. And this shaking uh, is like uh, being shook. Right. And I use that um, uh, kind of vernacular like uh, shook as in scared, <laughs> not shook as in shaking something like he. The wilderness itself is trembling, in other words, with fear because of the greatness of God. Right. And God, man, is powerful. Right. And we have to adore his might and his power and not downplay that in our very own lives. And then so Psalm 30 comes, switches it up. And it's another type of praise to God about the joy, though, of experiencing relief on the other side of suffering. Right. And in a nutshell, what David is saying, and I want everyone to notice, man, the best thing in the world about the worst things in the world is that they don't last forever. Right. The best thing in the world about the worst things in the world is that they don't last forever. They may come at the wrong time and they may last a long time. Let me keep it a buck. They may come at the wrong time. They may last a long time, but they don't last forever. Right. And so that's the beauty of this psalm. David is like, man, I'm joyful because God has relieved me of pain and suffering, right? And even if, yeah, the Lord is disciplining you, right? And it hurts. The best thing about it is it is temporary, right? Eventually it will subside and there's joy on the other side. So he says, for his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor a lifetime, right? Weeping may stay overnight, but there is joy in the morning, right? And again, most of these psalms uh, were meant to be sang and prayed in public worship. So together, they'd be the binding of the community, and, th- and they would invoke, in this case, gratitude and praise for who God was and what he does, right? He brings joy on the other side of sorrow, right? And so um, he says this at the end. He says, you turn my lament into dancing. You remove my sackcloth. That was uh, the sackcloth uh, serves as a symbol for um, grief in the Old Testament and clothe me with gladness. Right. So that I can sing to you and not be silent. Lord, my God, I will praise you forever. Sorrow to singing, lament to laughter, despair to dancing. That's what God does. Right. And so Psalm 31 comes and um, we have this. Yeah. Now, David, you know, is making a plea of protection. Right. And remember the Psalms are usually attached to a historical situation, right? It usually will say uh, a historical situation right under the title, but this one doesn't, right? And it's um, conveniently ambiguous, right? Because it applies to all of us, right? And it's so ambiguous that, yeah, we can apply it easier. And so on the surface, we can tell, once again, David is praying that God will protect him, one of his faithful ones, from the trouble that will come through and from his enemies, right? And David, once again, is really suffering so much so that he will go so far as to say, yo, my eyes are worn out from, from yeah, basically frustration, right? And man, what this psalm is just saying is that physical suffering can breed can bleed over into our emotions and our physiology right like into our bodies and even though even in the midst of grieving and tears and pain what david does is he keeps hoping right so he says yo for you are my rock and my fortress you lead and guide me for your namesake 
You will free me from the net that is secretly set for me, for you are my refuge. And then he says in verse five, into your hand, I entrust my spirit. If you go read Luke 23, verse 46, you'll see that Jesus says the same exact words on the cross. Right? And what David is saying and what Jesus was quoting was the fact that even as one who was in the midst of intense suffering, our whole being, our very spirit and soul is in the hands of our father. This is why he sings. Yeah. At the end. Right. He knows whose hands he's in. Right. It says this. Love the Lord. All his faithful ones. The Lord protects the loyal, but fully repays the arrogant. David is overcome with a sense of God's justice. That in the end, the wicked will get what they deserve, but the redeemed, right? The redeemed get only what Christ deserves. Finally, Psalm 32. Man, it's so good. Um, Basically, I love this psalm, and it captures so much of what I believe and what I believe is true of, yeah, believers. And it says this, how joyful is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How joyful is a person whom the Lord does not charge with iniquity and whose spirit is no deceit. So first, first off, uh, four different words here are used for sin in the original language, right? To show that God's grace covers all kinds of sin that people commit, right? Three different verbs here to describe God forgiving, right? So he says, yo, um, whose transgression is forgiven, right? That's the burden of sin being lifted. Then it says covered, right? That means concealing something from someone's sight and then not charging us. That's legal language where the guilty doesn't get what they're owed. And one of the things we need to do as Christians, we need to meditate on our forgiveness more, right? It would do a lot for our souls and for our joy, right? And that's precisely what he said. Now, some translations would, like the ESV, you know, would say bless, right? So bless is the one whose transgression is forgiven. But again, it can also be translated, I use the CSB, uh, as joy and happiness. But this goes back, though, to the beginning of the book that we talked about on the first day of Psalms, that the Psalms were written for us. And God wants something for us just as bad as he wants something, yeah, from us, right? And that's blessing, right? Well-being, joy, happiness. And Paul will pick up on this verse, actually, in Romans 4, in the middle of his dense argument, um, to show that cats... Yeah, always been saved by grace, right? Then and now and until the God man comes back to set up shop on earth, they will be saved by grace. And what he was saying was, you know, uh, because of the grace of God, right? That's why we do this, right? It's because of the grace. We understand that God has made us righteous by faith and we didn't do anything to earn it, right? And we have this joy because of it, right? And then now his sins are forgiven. But look what he says after that. Look what he says what happened to him when he didn't confess, when he did sin, right? It says, when I kept silent, my bones became brittle from groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was drained as in the summer's heat. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not conceal my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the guilt of my sin. Not confessing sin gives us a type of willful spiritual indigestion right where we keep our sins bottled up on the inside and we are subsequently the ones hurt for it right so the same hebrew verb that is used in verse one for covering for god covering our sin he uses it here right to say he concealed right his sin in verse five and in trying to cover up something god is already going to cover we cut ourselves off from his mercy right it's so good too because but even even this feeling 
And if you if you've held on to sin, I have before, and you didn't confess, man, it's he ain't lying, bro. Like he telling the flat truth, right? It's heavy, bro. Your bones be feeling like they're shaking, right? But even this though is a means of God's grace, right? That the feeling of heavy spiritual weight that you carry from not confessing sin is God's grace, so that you could receive the joy. Imagine if imagine if you didn't feel that. Imagine if you didn't have no conviction, right? Imagine if you were spiritually numb in that way, right? That's a problem. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, man, if you hold on to sin today, confess it, man. The Bible says in Proverbs 28, it says, Yo, he who conceals his sins will not prosper, but he who confesses it finds mercy, right? And one of the biggest reasons we don't confess our sin is because we believe that the other side of our sin, the other side of confessing our sin is judgment instead of joy and i'm here to tell you today that that is a lie from the pit of hell right that is a lie that satan would want god's children to believe joy comes from the forgiveness of our own sin and joy comes as a result of confessing them let me pray father i thank you that man you hand out joy you hand out forgiveness Help us to remember that it was at the cost of your precious son, but it's free to us. God, I pray that the gospel will blow our minds every single day. You've forgiven us of everything we've ever done, past, present, and future, if we've trusted in Christ. If someone is listening to this and they haven't trusted in Christ, I pray that they would get some of this joy, but more importantly, that they would be forgiven. It's in Jesus' name I pray.